welcome to episode 4 of Cargo of Bricks. So finally, after five months, it looks like we're going to get a new government in Dublin. But how will the old enemies, Fianna Foyle and Fianna Gael, find working together under the same roof? And will Sinn Féin rise to the challenge of its first senior constitutional role as leaders of the opposition? And finally, will the Green Party learn enough? Has the Green Party learned enough from its past failures to put it to better use, both for itself and for the planet? To unpack these and other questions, I'm joined by Teresa Reedy of University College Cork. Look, Teresa, how, how come it's taken five months, almost five months since the election, until now, in mid-June, to form a government? It's taken five months because the outcome of the election was very uncertain. And uh, there were no obvious governments coming from the election. A lot of the parties went into the election with suggestions about other political parties parties that they would like to partner with in a kind of a future coalition government. But as soon as the results began to come through on the day of the count, it was apparent that most of those combinations were pie in the sky and that they had nowhere close to the levels of uh, doll support that would be needed to put together uh, a government. The surge of support for Sinn Féin caught everybody by surprise. We ended up with a party system um, with three medium-sized political parties and an immediate reality that any government was going to require coalition between at least two of those three groups. And there was enormous reluctance for various different reasons, for any of those three to work together. I mean, none of them wanted to work together. So it was a matter of, you know, which was the least worst option for the political parties, um, you know, to get to get together. You then have to layer in all kinds of other kind of realities after the election. Uh, Fine Gael, um did very badly. It had been in the previous two governments and it initially took a step back on the grounds that, of course, it had lost seats and that there was a general impression that... Um, uh, that that voters didn't want them to be in government. Um, Sinn Féin made attempts to put together a left-leaning coalition, but it didn't have the support uh, among the other left-leaning political parties. And whilst there was a lot of discussion about that very early on, I mean, it was very obvious very quickly that it wasn't going to be able to um, get the necessary 81 votes uh, in, in the Dáil. Um, and then very quickly, uh, and in fact, in advance of the election, but also very quickly after the election, Fianna Fáil uh, leadership made it clear that they would not work with Sinn Féin uh, in, in government. So when you have all these parties ruling each other out, um, it, it really it became the case of what was left still on the table. And very reluctantly, uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael agreed to uh, work with each other. But there are enormous historical hurdles uh, to those two parties coming to, together. Um, and there's a lot of criticism which suggested that it, you know, part of the reason it took so long for them to even get to that point was for optics. I think that's to kind of overlook the deep kind of roots of uh, the division between these two political parties and the role that they've played in the party system over a long period of uh, a long period of time. It took time for them to internalize the outcome of the election and to accept that coalition would only be possible if they would work uh, work together. Uh, and then, of course. The real harsh reality of the outcome of the election was that these two kind of giant political parties of Irish politics that have dominated government for 100 years, even if they came together, 
they wouldn't be able to form a majority government. So they needed to work with somebody else. And I think all of these are important realizations that actually had to happen um, before we could get to, to a coalition negotiations in a real proper sense of the uh, of the word. And you, you can't really take away from the fact that the COVID-19 closures exacerbated much of these discussions, especially, I think, as we got to the later stages of the discussions when very serious negotiations had to take place about which policies would be prioritised, what would be included in the programme for government. Um, we have to remember that no more than four people could be in a room together at any one time. Uh, there had to be long periods of breaks between those, those meetings. Um, and that meant that the whole discussion was much more protracted than it perhaps otherwise might have uh, might have been. But that's that's the later stages. I think that's the kind of the intense negotiations that went on for kind of four or five weeks. I think perhaps in normal times, they might have happened over three weeks. Yes. And but there is also underneath all of that. And despite the fact that we tend to talk about Fine Gael and Fianna Foyle as the civil war parties, there's a great deal more substance to that pairing off both within demography, who supports which, which party uh, traditionally, but also which set of policies, although they're not recognized, say, on the international scale, they do, there is quite a divergence in terms of, uh, if you like, materialistic interests that both of those two parties have represented. And then you've got this third leg, the Green Party leg, and it's almost the image I sometimes have of these three parties through this negotiation. Do you remember that scene from Reservoir Dogs where everybody's pointing a gun at everybody else and there's a complete standoff and everybody knows they've got to compromise and treat this thing really, really carefully? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think once you got beyond the fact that they were going to have to coalesce together in in government, that that was probably the first major hurdle but I don't think we can get away from the fact that there are significant policy differences between the Green Party and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I think the policy differences between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, those are possible to negotiate. Very often, they come from the same starting point. They, they perhaps might suggest different solutions to dealing with problems, but they agree on what the nature of those problems uh, are. Uh, and they have kind of common traditions that, you know, of, of dealing with policy that I think would be relatively straightforward. I think from the point of view of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, um, it's the cultural differences, the historical legacies, their competing sense of identity and what the state is, because they have quite different views uh, about, you know, the foundation of the state. And, and I think it took some time to overcome those. There's a there's a real distrust between those two political parties. Um, but I think once that was overcome, the kind of reality of engaging with a, a very ideological Green Party, um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are, are pragmatic uh, the Green Party is ideological um, in terms of uh, how you would describe them. And I think in particular, the Green Party, because it had done quite well in the course of the election, um, because internationally the environmental movement um, is, is really mainstreaming into to, to politics, the Green Party pushed a stronger um, uh line in these debates and discussions and um, then they might have done when they were previously in government uh, before and there's also undoubtedly a group within the the green party um that are 
I think we'd probably call them ideological purists. They're, they're, um, and there's this, you know, this international debate about fundies versus realos, which is kind of rooted in the German um, Green Party going back to the 1980s. I, I think that's certainly present in the uh, the Green Party of today in Ireland. But I think there's, you know, when you dig into that, there's also a kind of an anti-capitalist um, dimension uh, to some of the um, more fundamentalist Greens. Um, you know, they're supporters of, uh, I think, called the degrowth movement. Um, and they have a very different view about how to deal with the global climate emergency, which is uh, completely on the other side of the, the spectrum to, uh, to Fianna Fáil and, and Fine Gael. And I think uh, for that reason, there were a lot of stumbling blocks in the negotiations. Um, now, I think the Green Party actually has managed the negotiations quite well and they put together a kind of a a list of their top priorities and when you dig into it they've actually had they've gained ground in pretty much all of the priority issues that they put out there they haven't got everything but then they only have 12 tds um but i i suspect actually looking at the program for government now um there's a stronger green uh, element to it than there is of either Fianna Fáil or Fianna, Fianna Gael. And, and I think that's partly because ideologically the Green Party was more committed to particular policy areas and it took a very uncompromising line in the negotiations uh, on that. It's wrong to say that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael don't have ideology. They do have ideology. They're they're effectively centre, centre-right political parties, but they're perhaps yeah. that bit more pragmatic in terms of how they approach these uh, these negotiations. And of course, the Greens had a little bit of taste of failure uh, after they went into government with Fianna Fáil in 2007, which probably made their leadership, including Eamon Ryan, who was there in that administration, that little bit more determined maybe to drive a harder, clearer bargain at the beginning. One of the words you use there is something that's unfamiliar to a lot of Northern listeners, but very common in Southern political parlance, which is coalesce. It's coalescing. Um, which actually sounds like it's more fluid than it actually is, but it brings us on to this other idea that you spoke to me about before we uh, started recording, this need for coalition governments to push unity but to keep their own distinctiveness so that when they break up at the end for another general election, they can fight on separated separated manifestos. I I wonder if you could just say a little bit about the politics of that uh, and what the challenges are for each one of these three um, parties going forward. Yeah, that's a very, um, I suppose, common feature that's discussed uh, by political scientists working on coalition politics. And it's particularly relevant in the case of the Republic of, of Ireland. And it really kind of boils down to this question that for coalitions to work well, there needs to be a degree of unity of purpose. And I think in in the Republic, what's important is that you have cabinet collective decision making. So um, once a decision is taken at cabinet, um, the expectation and the legal basis is that all the members of the cabinet will support uh, uh, will support that. And you've cabinet confidentiality. So you're not supposed to hear uh, about the details of the debate and the discussion that took place in, in cabinet. So there's an expectation. Of, of unity of purpose and unity of action uh, amongst the coalition uh, partners. And that's very important for effective governance. But at the same time, each of these component parts of the coalition uh, face the prospect of going before the voters. Uh, that might be at local and European parliament elections and ultimately at the, at the next general election. And here they have to ensure that they retain some distinctive identity, that they, they retain what 
is the, effectively the core that made them attractive to their supporters um, in the first instance, so that they retain um, their um, their distinctive identity. And that has particularly been a challenge for small political parties um, in governments that they, they often, not so much that they lose their identity. I mean, they retain their identity, but that identity is often overshadowed when they govern with a much larger political party. Um, and there were a lot of reasons for why the Labour Party struggled very significantly in 2016. But part of that undoubtedly was that they were in a coalition with a much larger Fine Gael party. Um, and when it came to people viewing the government, they, they tended to view it as a it, to a great extent, a Fine Gael government. Um, and, and the Labour Party was often lost or missing. It, it retained a kind of distinctive identity um, um, in, in, in that. I think it's going to be very interesting to apply this kind of lens or way of thinking about coalition politics to the coming government, because one of the things uh, that we see in the programme for government is a very heavy greening of the programme for government. You know, there are really strong environmental policies um, in here. And there's there's research from different parts of the world where the Greens have been in government, which has shown that they're a little bit different to other uh, political parties in that they own their issue. Voters see environmental issues as green issues and, and other political parties kind of find it quite difficult to steal their clothes, as you will. Um, in, in, in Ireland, in, in if we go back to, say, the 1980s and the 1990s, the PDs were a small kind of liberal right wing political party. And they went into power with Fianna Fáil and they were advocating um, kind of neoliberal type ideas. And actually, over a period of time, what happened is Fianna Fáil stole their clothes and they repackaged them and they sold them better than the PDs and the PDs did disappeared. The lessons from other parts of the world tell us that that's much more difficult to do to the Green parties uh, because their issues are really strongly identified with them. Um, so there's there's definitely a possibility here that the Greens can retain a very distinctive voice in government and that they can identify issues and own those uh, those issues. I think it's going to be much more difficult challenge for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to do that because, I mean, there are some policy differences but they're really not that strong. Um, and there are some cultural differences, but those resonate much more with people within those political parties than they do with the, the public at large. So how Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael maintain their identities and their connection to voters is going to be very interesting to see. And I think is going to be a very complicated challenge for those two parties to navigate. There's obviously also this first time challenge for Sinn Féin that they've now got undisputed control of the opposition benches that they far outsize anybody else who's on those benches. And there's a real opportunity there for them, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is that Sinn Féin, as leader of the opposition, you, you become part of the establishment. I mean, the leader of the opposition is a constitutional position. Um, you know, this is a senior political role in the Dáil. And the, there are all kinds of other things that flow from that position, not least of which that the chairman or chairwoman of the Public Accounts Committee is now going to come from uh, Sinn Féin. That's, a, that's the most powerful committee in the Dáil. Um, and, and outside of kind of ministerial positions, it's, it's the most powerful position in parliamentary politics in, in, in Ireland. So Sinn Féin is, is going to be stepping into these um, roles and, and assuming much more establishment type uh, positions. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they combine that with what's often a very anti-establishment um, rhetoric. I think 
for Sinn Féin, they, they are, I think, fortunate in the sense that much of the rest of the opposition is also going to be coming from a similar ideological point of view. Um, so the rest of the opposition is going to be made up of small parties of the centre left. So you'll have the Social Democrats, the Labour Party. And I think it, it will be easier for Sinn Féin to pitch itself as the strongest voice of, uh, of opposition. So in that sense of the word, it does have a clear road ahead um versus some of those other uh, those other political uh, political parties but i mean there is an old maxim in, in politics and and that is that you know oppositions don't win uh, elections you know governments lose them um so i think in terms of looking at Sinn Féin it, it's very interesting to see it um, what's occurred after this election is a kind of an important part of their trajectory of getting closer to power. It's now assuming this position in, in the leadership of the opposition. But it is not inevitable that they become the government after the next election. Uh, and to a great extent, the who becomes the government after the next election, that destiny lies with the government that's going into office now, not with Sinn Féin. So that, that's clear in the sense that Sinn Féin are in a position of influence, but not necessarily a position of power. What do you what do you think the challenges are for them going forward? Well, I mean, I think that challenges are on a couple of different levels for, for Sinn Féin. Uh, I mean, if you take the kind of their historical trajectory, the normalisation of Sinn Féin as a normal political party has to continue. And, and to some extent, that means that Sinn Féin has to get on top of the internal organisational matters that draw a lot of bad publicity. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, councillors leaving the party, allegations of bullying, internal problems in the in the party, which kind of set it apart from the other political parties. And I just want you need to contextualise that a little, bit, a little bit, because, I mean, the other parties, there's lots of internal disagreements and lots of briefing against each other. But it's it's done in a very different way um, and, and party reactions to it appear, at least on the face of it, to be quite um, to be quite different. So I think from an kind of internal organisational point of view, there are questions about kind of um, how Sinn Féin operates. And then, of course, all of those link directly back, um, you know, to the role of the Ord Corla. And, and then, then again, you get this debate that will come up, I guess, at the next election as well in relation to the Army Council. Although I think those parts are fading more and more into the past and probably will resonate less and less as we go along. But I, I, so I think that's why the more immediate challenge for, for Sinn Féin in organisational terms is to get on top of these issues around, you know, how the party works. Um, you know, there's a sense that internal party democracy is very different in Sinn Féin to how it is in other political parties. They have lots of uncontested selection conventions, for example, you know, and that tells us that, you know, decisions are made in different ways um, to to other political uh, other political parties. I think sure. then more generally, there is a, a challenge that the party will face, and that is being an effective party of opposition and scrutinizing the go government, but at the same time being seen to present solutions to the public. And I think this is one of the things that we don't still fully understand about the 2020 election, because going towards the end of 2019, 
um, Sinn Féin was languishing in the polls. You know, there was no reason to believe it was going to have the surge election that it that it did. Sinn Féin didn't think they were going to have that surge election because they didn't have enough candidates in the field. And, you know, what is it that changed um, between kind of the last quarter of uh, 2019 and early 2020? And the internal analysis that we see coming out of Sinn Féin is that, you know, some of their spokespersons um, began to put forward uh, very effective policies to particular issues. And of course, Owen O'Brien is very much uh, to the fore here, but I think Louise O'Reilly, Pierce Doherty uh, were all quite significant. So th- there is this kind of question of into the future, how do they campaign, con- continue with the rigorous scrutiny of government as the now lead voice in opposition, but at the same time, um, the Sinn Féin analysis suggests that what was important for them was being seen as constructive. And, and I think that again, is is something that they will probably have to develop and 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 kind of um, tease into, especially now that they are the lead party of opposition. One one of the things that strikes me is that the the novel nature of what we're going into that we haven't seen before is the fact we're going to have two Taoiseachs, one after the other. We've seen that in Germany uh, between the Social Democrats and the Christian Democrats didn't exactly work out for one of those parties. Worked out very nicely for the Christian Democrats. Um, how, how do you think this is going to? How do you how do you think it's going to play, and where do you think it's going to end? If that's not too onerous a question to ask, I mean, it's very difficult to know how it's going to work because um, you know the the Taoiseach is quite a powerful position within cabinet. Um, I, I mean, in, in international car- comparisons of the head of government role, uh, the Taoiseach is actually quite powerful. And one of the most important roles they have is actually in the hi- hiring and firing of other ministers. Um, and that gives them kind of oversight of a, a lot of different uh, different portfolios. And most Taoiseach, of course, have also been leaders of their political parties, which gives them very important standing in, 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 in that sense as, as well. So you know, this is a very unusual scenario that we're going to see it kind of rotate across political parties. Taoiseach have changed in the course of governments before, but it's always been within a political party where a leader of a political party has changed and a new Taoiseach is elected. And Importantly, the previous Taoiseach fades from public, uh, uh, from political life. Usually they go to the back benches. And actually, previous Taoiseach have almost to a fault um, not involved themselves in party politics, even while they remain sitting in the doll. This is going to be very different. Um, uh, Michal Martin is going to become Taoiseach in, in two weeks' time, and he's going to sit at cabinet with his immediate predecessor, who is also going to be his immediate successor, um, you know, barring uh, changes within within Fine Gael. So in terms of the dynamics um, of, of politics, we don't entirely know how that's going to work out. Now, on one level, Michal Martin is a very experienced politician. So is Leo Varadkar. So we expect they will manage it between them because um, they, they will certainly know how to do that. But, but in terms of oversight of ministers, handling of the inevitable crises that will happen for this government when they do come, um, will, will those be you know, will decisions be exclusively in the gift of the Taoiseach or will the Tarashta also be deeply involved in those discussions? And then what is the relationship between these two two men? Because there's a kind of spiky pragmatism that's there at the moment, but it's not a comfortable working relationship. So how that working relationship, um, you know, develops is going to be very important because occasional crises do have the potential to destabilize and topple a government. Um, so ultimately, 
the the working relationship that develops between these uh, these two people is going to be very very uh, important, um, and and it's going to be crucial for the stability of the government. In practical terms, I mean, it appears that it's been worked out very clearly um, when the rotations will happen um, and and the kind of um, the modalities are around that. But it's really only when we hit our first political crisis uh, that we will see how this actually is going to to play out. Um, uh, play out in reality. Cargo of Bricks is brought to you by Sluggero Tool, Northern Ireland's leading source for independent news, insight and analysis. Support us by hitting the donor box button at sluggerotool.com.